We have a special treat tonight to have somebody that uh, is no stranger to People's Church. He's family. Randy, you're family around here, and we love you. And uh, if you've been around here very long, you've been blessed by his ministry, but I just want to say thank you for making strategic deposits season after season in this house that have come at very timely moments. And I believe that you're here for a timely moment tonight and God's gonna move in power. I need you guys to give a People's Church welcome, to get on your feet and welcome evangelist Randy Ruiz. Oh. You're so kind. Well, you know I'm gonna ask you to do it because I told you I would. Turn to the person next to you, just smile, and say you are still the best looking thing I've seen all day. <laughs> Would you just also turn to someone and say you are in the right place at the right time, in the right season. I will not hold you long. That's actually what Elizabeth Taylor told husband number six. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> but I do want to give you a faith-building message. I came across something I thought you might enjoy. A third-grade teacher was starting her first year teaching third grade, and she wanted to be woke, and she wanted to be politically correct. So she said to her third-grade class, and she wanted to use her psychology degree, so she said to her third-grade class, if anybody feels stupid, please stand up. Well, nobody stood up. So again, trying to be woke and politically correct, she said, if anybody feels stupid, now third grade, if anybody feels stupid, please stand up. No one stood up. She said it a third time. If anyone sounds, feels stupid, please stand up. Finally, Johnny put up his hand, and she said, Johnny, do you feel stupid? He said, no, ma'am, I just feel bad that you're standing up there all by yourself. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. That's funny too. <laughs> but I do want to give you a faith-building message. Friends, I believe whatever you need is found in the presence of the Lord. And I want to talk to you on how you can put a draw or a demand on the anointing. And while I was studying this, I shared it with my 92-year-old mother-in-law. She lives with us now, and it's a blessing I did not ask for, but praise God. It is a blessing in and of itself. And I used the word demand, and she got all bristly, and she goes, oh, no, you can't put a demand on God. And I said, well, Mom, the Scripture says we are to do those things. And, but the word demand is very, it's an, it's an amazing word. For the anointing is the personality of the Holy Spirit. You receive it at salvation. And this is a simple teaching, but I believe if you will practice what I am preaching, not only in this service, but in the ones to come, in the days to come, should the Lord tarry, I believe we can see miracles by the power of God in a daily basis in your life and mine, not only in this room, but in your home, on the job, in the place that you attend a school. I believe we can see miracles. Lives can be changed. Listen, I make no apologies for believing and declaring that this church still believes that Jesus Christ is a healer and a miracle worker. If you believe that, someone clap your hands and just say amen to that. 
<laughs> and I also believe that you can get a miracle in a gathering just like this. Or you can get a miracle in a gathering on Wednesday night or in a home Bible study. Or in just a couple of minutes when we share a taco together in taco night. You can get a miracle. Friends, to put a demand on the anointing is a very powerful thing. And I, even though my mother-in-law bristled at it, when I began to explain to her, I said, well, Mom, let me tell you, the word demand simply means an urgent request. An urgent request. It means to seek after or to ask for with power, for, with proper authority. Hear it again. To seek after or to ask for with proper authority. To claim as a right is what Webster's Dictionary says. We claim these things as a right because we are joint heirs with Christ. And the proper authority has been given to us by God the Father because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The anointing that is within ministry gifts is a supply of the Spirit. Friends, the Bible tells us that we have a supply of the Spirit. But you don't always get to that supply unless there is a draw or a demand with proper urgent request authority that is given and placed on that anointing. And when you place that demand with an urgent request to seek after it with a proper authority, to claim as a right as your inheritance, it puts all of heaven into motion. All of heaven begins to move. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. The Apostle Paul is sitting in prison. He's writing a letter to the church at Philippi, and he's explaining to them his situation. A corrupt government official had arrested the Apostle for preaching the gospel. And he's explaining to them, literally, that he is not in any worry or fear or doubt. And listen to what the apostle says, Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Some translations say, for my salvation. Through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that he said the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. For the word Christ is the Christos, meaning the anointed one with the anointing. So he is telling us, I am not afraid, I am not worried, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, my salvation, because you are praying. And by your praying, you are putting a demand on the supply of the Spirit that is in Jesus Christ. In other words, the apostle is telling us there is a supply of the Spirit. And I believe that supply of the Spirit is for healing in this room. It is for financial provision. It is for breakthrough. It's for homes that are in crisis that need a miracle. That's why the apostle said, for my deliverance, not only from this prison cell, but for everything that would hinder my life, there is a supply of the Spirit. For the anointing, which is the personality of the Holy Spirit, <coughs> comes at times of crisis, compromise, and opportunity. And how many believe and do you understand that America is in crisis? That in many ways, the church of Jesus Christ is in compromise. 
but yet there's an amazing opportunity for us to minister to a hurting generation. Now, if you believe that, someone shout amen. amen. And there is a supply of the Spirit that never runs dry. Oh, you got to hear it again. There is a supply of the Spirit that never runs dry. My grandmother used to walk through the house and she would sing. I've told you she would sing in Spanish and English and then a heavenly language. She was convinced the heavenly language was Spanish, but that was grandma's own theology. And she'd walk through the house and one of her favorite songs was, there is a river that flows from deep within. And there is a fountain that frees the soul from sin. Come to this water, there is a vast supply. There is a river, verse shall run dry and of course that song is singing about the river of the holy spirit that is dwelling in you and i jesus himself compared the move of the holy spirit to a river for he said at the feast of tabernacles he that believeth in me out of his innermost belly will flow rivers of living water and of course he's making reference to what would take place after at pentecost when the Holy Spirit would be given to the church. There is a supply of the Spirit that never runs dry. That's in Jesus Christ that he has put in the church. And this is why the Apostle Paul tells them, for I know this will turn out for my deliverance, my, trans my salvation, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit. There is a available to every single person sitting in this room and watching me online a storehouse or a reservoir. And when we look at the ministry gifts that are on the platform, or when we look at ministry gifts that are in the lobby, or people that are teaching a Sunday school class, or who lead worship, or they volunteer for ministry, even beyond that, every one of us that have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and you've received the power of the Holy Spirit into your life, you have a supply or reservoir of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. There's a pool of anointing dwelling in you. And the power of the New Testament church is the Lord has deposited his anointing in individuals. Well, where do you hear that, Pastor? 1 John 2, 27, you have an anointing that abides. It's that abiding anointing. You have an anointing. The personality of the Holy Spirit, again, is the anointing. Why do I have it? Well, Ephesians tells us in Ephesians 4, 12, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That the only reason he gives the supply of the Spirit is not to glorify a person, not to cause anyone to look to a man or a pastor or some spiritual leader as some kind of spiritual superstar or elite superstar. But the only reason that God gives an anointing to any individual is for the perfecting of the saints. It's about the church. It's about the congregation. It's not about me. It's not about Pastor Tom. It's not about any of the pastoral staff. It's not about an individual person. It's about the church. And anytime you see an anointed man or woman 
of God who has given themselves for ministry. Or when we call the elders or the prayer team forward and we have them line up and they're going to anoint you with oil. The anointing oil represents the power of the Holy Spirit. And we line up and when you come to, for prayer, if you will put a demand on the reservoir of the supply of the Spirit that is within them, you can get a healing. <clears throat> you can get a miracle. You can receive your miracle. For the Bible says it's the prayer of faith that we lay hands on and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, shall heal the sick. That prayer of faith, it's not about who does it, it's about the spirit supplied. We are just the vessel that he is working through and I'm deeply concerned that all of these things on Christian television and everything we have seen puts the emphasis on a man or on a woman, they are just the vessel. It's all about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it's our responsibility as the church, the body of Christ, to put a draw or a demand on that anointing. <clears throat> so, so the question then becomes, how do you put a demand or a draw on the anointing of God in someone's life? Remember, the word demand means with proper authority. So how do you do it? When you come for prayer, Brother Bullock will lay his hands on you or one of the pastors lay their hands on you and they're agreeing by faith and they have all the faith in the world to believe that you'll get healed. How do you put a demand on the reservoir that's in their life? And how do you put a demand on the reservoir that's in your life as you're walking through your house and you're praying for your family? How do you do it? By reaching out in faith and responding to what is being preached and responding to what you hear? by reaching out in faith and responding to the word of God, when you apply it to your life and start walking out God's word in obedience, that puts a demand on the anointing and it becomes life-giving. That obedience to God's word draws out the spirit of God and you're saying, Lord, I believe what you say. I'm coming with an expectancy. I know, Lord, your word is yea and amen. And so I'm gonna put a demand on your word. And when you apply it to your life and you start walking out God's word on a regular basis, that puts a demand on the anointing as well to meet the need. Now, let me give you some scriptural references that will teach you what I'm talking about. I call them biblical parallels. Our God is a God of parallels. And as he dealt with natural Israel, he will deal with you and I who are spiritual Israel. God is not running a heavenly lottery system that you happen to sit in one spot on a particular Sunday and suddenly a miracle drops on that spot. No, that's not how it works. There are biblical principles at work in your life and if you will learn those biblical principles, you begin to operate and move under that anointing. You don't get a breakthrough because you lucked out and just happened to sit in the right spot. Luke chapter six, verse 19, biblical patterns. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him, and he healed them all. Now that's the demand of the Spirit. That's the reservoir that we are talking about. Power went out from him. It was in him, and they sought to touch him, even just the hem of his garment. And because they put a draw or a demand on the anointing, because they pulled it out of him, something started flowing in him. It could have just stayed in him, but they put a demand on the anointing, and it started flowing through him. They drew it out. 
Listen, you draw out the anointing by the way you worship with expectancy. You draw out the anointing by your attitude that you have while the word of God is being preached. In 33 years of ministry, I have preached in all kinds of places, and it's amazing that you could be teaching and you could be preaching, and you say, well, that's pretty good. That, that, that went all right. And then there are times that the people just pull it out of you, and they're sitting at the edge of their seat, and they're taking notes, and they're saying, amen, praise God, give me more. And by your hunger, your desire, you're calling out for more of him. Every word you're taking in, you begin to put a demand on the presence of God that is in my life and in your life. You're putting a demand not on me, but on the power of God in me. You're putting a demand on the promises. It's not that you're demanding something that has not been already promised. You're putting a demand on the word of God. One of the craziest places I ever preached was the horse barn at Santa Anita Racetrack. And I was called by the Fellowship of Christian Athletes to go and preach to about 25 jockeys, Christian jockeys, the Santa Anita racetrack, and they're sitting on hay bales, and they've got all of their gear on, they're getting ready to race, and they're just pulling it out of me. And they're just, amen, tell me more. Well, what does this mean? What does that mean? And they're taking notes, and it was one of the most dynamic times I've ever had because of their hunger, their desire, their longing for more. And you could put a demand on the anointing when you come expecting, when you come hungry, when you put a demand on the things of God. God says, I will meet you according to your hunger, according to what you like. Literally, they pull it out of you. Listen, this is called a pulpit. It's first mentioned in the book of Ezra. Let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says <coughs> that he stood there, Ezra stood at the pulpit and read the word, and for nine solid hours, the people stood there. Nine solid hours, they pulled it out of him. While some of you are falling asleep on me right now. Nine solid hours, they pull it out of him. That's in your Bible. For nine hours they stood there while he preached and they pulled it out of him. That's why this is called a pulpit. It's not a podium. It's not a lectern. It's a pulpit where the word of God is preached and the power of God's word pulls people out of the pit. It pulls them out of the pit of depression. It pulls them out of the pit of fear. Oh, come on, somebody. It pulls them out of the pier of addiction. It pulls them out of the pit of alcoholism. If you believe what I'm preaching, I want you to clap your hands. This is the pulpit where we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that anointing pulls people out. While I'm on that school of thought, you need to know this is not a stage. A stage is what the world uses to proclaim man's talents. This is a platform that we use to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is a platform that we proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, well, no, that's just semantics. No, that's the way we live. It's putting Jesus first. And when you put him first, you put a demand on the anointing. Oh, somebody shout amen to that. And it can happen every time you meet together. No matter who is preaching, no matter who is leading worship, if you will put a demand on the presence of God by your hunger, by your obedience, by your desire, 
Many times we are waiting for God to do something and God is waiting on you to do something. You see, that's why we praise and worship. And yet some people can't clap their hands and some folks can't sing. Well, I just don't like that song. It's not my kind of music. If you'd sing some Gaither music, then ooh, I'd really get touched. If you do Hill songs more, I don't like that song. What they are actually saying is, I'm waiting on God to do something. And all that is is the enemy trying to keep you from placing a demand with proper authority on the word of God and the songs that are being sung because the anointing makes the difference. Would you say that with me? The anointing makes the difference. Say it again. The anointing makes. So with that said, let me ask you an eternal question. How much more do you really want God to do? He's already sent his son to die on the cross. He's already risen again three days after the third day with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He has sent the Holy Spirit to empower you, to fill you, to guide you, to guard you, to flow through you. You are already more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. Come on now. It is our part to now partner with him. It is already finished. He cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he said, it is finished. It is finished. By the way, when he said it is finished, he never said I am finished. He said, it is finished. Well, what was the it? The it was the ministry fulfillment to the vision that the Father had sent him to fulfill. It was finished. Now he's going to transition. His ministry is transitioning to another position. He is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. He's praying for you. He's praying for your children. He's praying for your grandchildren. He's praying that you would come under the understanding that you've got the power of the Holy Spirit in you, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that raised Lazarus out, the same power that split the Red Sea and Moses walked across on dry ground, that same power, the Holy Spirit of God in you, Jesus is interceding that you would learn how to put a demand with proper authority on that power that you might rise up to the task at hand oh come on somebody there's a supply in our midst tonight listen God is not temperamental God is not moody it's up to you to draw it out listen if you're tired of things being like they are if you're tired of being indifferent, if it's been a long time since you have had a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit, then tonight, why don't you lift your voice and get out of your comfort zone and do something out of the ordinary that you normally don't do and put a demand on the presence of God that's flowing in your life. I love the story of Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus realized, I, I have to see the master. I've got to do something out of the ordinary to get his attention. Remember, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Zacchaeus is a prestigious position. But when you really want to see Jesus, when you really need a miracle, you don't care anymore what people think. When you really need him to move, you don't care about social media. Zacchaeus knew that I've got to touch Jesus. So he said, I got to do something out of the ordinary. So he says, my answer is not in me. My answer is in the tree. And so he climbs up in the tree. 
something out of the ordinary. You see, the tree allowed Zacchaeus to see Jesus, but more importantly, it also allowed Jesus to see Zacchaeus. He did something out of the ordinary. He was putting a draw on the anointing. What are you willing to do to get the master's attention? You don't have to sit through another service and leave dry like you came. Listen to this biblical truth. If there is no demand, there is no supply. The greater the demand, the greater the supply. Hear it again. If there is no demand, there is no supply. The greater the demand, the greater the supply. In Africa, they'll walk for days to get the anointing. In Latin America, they put a demand on the presence of God. They'll stand in mud up to their ankles just to hear the gospel. If there's no demand placed on the anointing, there is no supply. The greater the demand, the greater the supply. Hungry people put a demand on ministry gifts that will always have a supply of the anointing. Our church can go to a new level when people start to come to this church with great expectation that as the pastor is teaching, the congregation can draw the ministry gifts out of him. Listen, we leave too much up to chance. We ought to stack things in our favor by coming expecting and believing and carrying out the word of God. Matthew 20 and 30, and behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, have mercy on us, son of Lord, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. They were putting a demand on his anointing. I know who you are. Son of David means I know you are the Messiah. They were saying to the rest of the world, you can see. You're telling me to stay quiet, but you can see. You, you've, you, you've got, you don't need what I need. It's okay for you to stay silent. But I'm going to get his attention and not let him pass me by. And I can show you time after time where scripture says Jesus intended to pass them by. They were, it was three o'clock in the morning. They're out in the Sea of Galilee, the disciples in a boat. And scripture says Jesus is on the shore watching them. He starts walking on the winds and the wave. And the Bible says he fully intended to pass them by. Now that blows my mind. He's watching them. They're in the midst of the storm, but he fully intended to pass them by. I said, Lord, were you really going to let them go to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee? And he said, I'm God. I could raise them up. It wasn't until somebody said, I can't let him pass by. And they cried out. And he got into the boat. They put a demand on the anointing. If they would have stayed quiet, he would have passed them by, and the reservoir of healing would have just passed them by. Biblical parallels, Mark 6, the Bible tells us that same miracle-working Jesus who walked on the water and raised the dead went to his hometown of Nazareth, and he could not do many work, mighty works there except he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Jesus was the first circuit-riding evangelist. But it says he marveled because of their unbelief. There are times that I'll go preach in a church 
And I know that God wants to do mighty things in their midst, but because of their unbelief, they limit the limitless Savior. And I've got to ask, I wonder, I'll go back to prayer in the hotel and I'll say, Holy Spirit, in my mind I was picturing you just walking up and down the aisles with healing in your hands and healing in your, in your word and you just shaking your head saying, I can't believe their unbelief. Do you realize it's possible to limit the limitless Savior by your actions, doubt, and unbelief? So don't tell me it's up to Jesus to do everything. Your hunger, your thirst, your desire, your attitude, your spirit, how desperate you are, it demands a spirit to act on it. Faith puts a demand on the anointing. Biblical patterns, Mark 5 and 34. Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Luke 8, 46, biblical parallels. But Jesus said, somebody touch me, for I perceive power has gone out from me. Somebody touched him with faith. Somebody touched him in obedience. Somebody touched him in desperation. And please don't think that they were the only one, she was the only one, the woman with the issue of blood. Please don't think she's the only one that had a need. She's the only one that reached out in faith, in desperation, even though he's in a large crowd. The supply of the anointing had been touched and he started sending it out. And he stops and he says, somebody touched me. Friend, you cannot be passive and expect to receive. You must have active faith. We've got to teach this generation how to have active faith. Um, I, I get paused in my spirit because when I was coming up, they taught us to speak the words of faith. They taught us the confession of faith. They taught us to claim the scripture and believe God and anoint with oil and lay on of hands. And the modern day church no longer wants to see those things happen. I thank God that that is not what happens here. They taught us how to wait in the altar and not give up or give in. And I've told you in times past that Gladys Pearson, she was in our church. She was a missionary that was sent out and she came home because of severe arthritis. Her fingers were gnarled, her toes were gnarled, and she had a hump in her back from severe arthritis. And she would walk through the door, First Assembly of God in Wilmington, California. The pastor was Roy Sapp, then Ben Sapp, and then Jim Morocco. And she would walk in and she would have her walker and she would lean against the pillar that held up the balcony of our church and she would say, Holy Spirit, I'm coming. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And whew, the presence of God would be elevated. She'd come all the way down to the front, and if you were sitting here, she'd tap you on the shoulder and say, baby, can you help me bend my knees? Mother hasn't prayed today. And we all knew Mother Pearson prayed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And she would say, lay me on the far side, and we would lay her on that far side, on her face, prostrate. The Greek word proskania, where we get our English word prostrate. And there would come a sound out of her, the likes I'll never forget. It was a sound of intercession. And she would, it wasn't real loud. It wasn't scary. It was something like this. And, and she'd say, I'm here, Lord. I'm putting a demand on the promises of God. I'm here, Lord. Your word says that she'd start quoting scripture. 
and the power of God would begin to flow. And the modern day church has gotten away from the fundamentals of our faith. We've walked away from the real power. In Acts 5 and 15, after the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, he was so anointed that the apostle walked out the streets and the people knew he was coming, so they put a demand on the reservoir of anointing by putting the lame and crippled people out in the streets so his shadow would fall on them. His shadow. Now listen, don't get confused. There's no power in his shadow. What if it was a cloudy day? No, no, it was their obedience and their faith. Their faith drew out the anointing. Biblical parallels, Luke 5, 18 and 20, they tore the roof off the building. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him, his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. They were putting a demand on the power of God. Listen to what Jesus said. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. I want you to say with me, faith ignites the power of God. Are you ready? Faith ignites the power of God. Say it again. Faith ignites the power of God. Biblical parallels. Luke 4, 25, 26, and 27. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. And in my study for this sermon, I said, Lord, if there were many there, why weren't many healed? If there were many widows who had financial need and needed a miracle, and there were many lepers who were very sick and needed healing, why is it that only these two got these healings? And the Holy Spirit whispered, they were the only ones that came with a hunger to get the need met. And God is teaching us no other man, no other woman had the faith to reach out and put a demand on the anointing, biblical parallels. Matthew 15, 21 through 28, a desperate woman came and put a demand on Jesus. He was there in Galilee. When Jesus left Galilee, went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon, a Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word, almost like he's ignoring her. He wasn't ignoring her. He was wanting her to have a faith that began to put a demand on the promise and the anointing in her, in her life and in his life. Finally, she came to worship him. And the Lord says, dear woman, Jesus said, your faith is great, your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Are you starting to get it? Jesus wasn't being callous. He was wanting her to activate her faith. Faith ignites the power of God. Say it with me. Faith ignites the power of God. Faith ignites tonight the power of God. I'm going to ask our prayer team and our pastors to come forward right now because we're gonna to begin to put a draw on the anointing of the Holy Spirit for healing, for deliverance, that your marriage might be made whole. We have a promise, Isaiah 53, five, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It's time that we begin to praise him and thank him in advance for the miracle.
And as the, those that are coming here, the Bible says the prayer of faith. The Jews, as they're coming, listen to me, the Jews had a saying about prayer. Two sayings. The first one is, he prayed his prayers. That's like a memorized rope prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You say that, you throw that up, and there's really no thought of what Jesus did on the cross. There's no thought of sanctification or justification or blood atonement. But then they would say he prayed with prayer. Like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thy will be done. I need a miracle, Lord. He needed a supernatural anointing to carry the cross through the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem. Remember, he is all man, yet he is all God. That's what makes him so wonderful. And he looks through the eons of time and he's realizing, I am not going to make it in my manhood, so I need a supernatural anointing, not my will, but thy will be done. And when he said that, he then comes back to his disciples and says, arise, let us go. Here come my betrayers. The two other times he came, he said, can you not watch with me one hour? That was the man talking. Now the spirit says, arise, let us go. Here comes my betrayers. What happened? He put a demand on the will of God and God gave him a supernatural strength. God gave him a supernatural strength. And these people standing here, they have a reservoir of anointing and strength and healing. And if you will come by faith and pray with prayer, that when they anoint you with oil, you're going to say, Lord, I'm putting a demand on the promises of God that says, by your stripes we are healed. I'm putting a demand. I'm believing my youth will be restored. I'm believing my immune system will be restored. Listen to me, there's a great fear right now keeping people out of church. And that fear is, well, I don't want to get COVID. Oh, it's amazing how you can go to Walmart, but you can't come to church. Yeah. That's the enemy trying to keep you from putting a demand on the promises of God. But right now, I want you to come and say, Lord, I believe that when they lay hands on me that you're going to restore my immune system that you're a God of healing, that you're a God of abundant life. I had somebody stop me. Yeah, musicians, come, come on now, guys, come on. I had somebody stop me between the services this morning, and she looked right at me. Here's what she said. She said, well, you know, I deserve what I'm dealing with in my lungs, Pastor. I said, oh, really? You deserve it? How's that? She said, well, I deserve it because I smoked for so many years. And I look back now, and I know I shouldn't have done that, and now my lungs are suffering because of that. And she looked at me and she said, I also drank vodka, and she had tears in her eyes, so I guess I deserve what I'm going through. I looked at her and said, are you saved? <coughs> she said, yes, I am. I smiled at her and said, the blood of Jesus is more powerful than the nicotine that's in your lungs. And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, he can renew your lungs and deliver you from the cravings. If you love Jesus, claim your healing. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy that says you'll never get well or you deserve this. No, no, that was the old you. The new you, the redeemed you, listen to me, Jesus, he took the curse to the tree. He took your sin and your sickness to the cross of Calvary and he nailed it there. And he said, I will hang there. I will take the death. I will take the penalty. I will take the sickness. You take the righteousness. You take the healing. You take the deliverance and you take the eternal life and I'll take everything else.
Oh, come on, friends. That is scriptural teaching. I want you to get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Let me close with this. In John chapter 2, Jesus does his first miracle at the marriage sepulcher, at the wedding of Canaan. Do you know why he did it? Because his mother put a demand on him. She came to him and said, hey, uh, Junior, they've run out of wine. And his answer was, why do you come to me? It's not my time yet. And she said, oh, yes, it is. Who else on this earth could put a demand on him more than her? Remember, the angel appears to her. Remember, she knows who he is. Remember, it was the angel, and she knew how, what manner is this that I would have a child without knowing a man? And the, whole, and, the, and the angel said, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you or overshadow you. Get ready. The Holy Spirit is still in the business of overshadowing his people. He's about to overshadow many of you right now. She knows he's the Messiah. She was there when John jumped in Elizabeth's womb. And she knows I could put a demand. He's Almighty God. I love it, she says to the servants, do what he tells you to do. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill them with water and they filled them to the brim. Don't miss this as you get ready to come. According to Ephesians 5, water represents the word. And if you will fill your vessel and your life with the word of God, God will have something to work with when you pray for a miracle. You prepare and expect, prepare and expect. So just before I have you come, I'm gonna have you stand, lift your hands and begin to quote scripture. If you're asking God to do a miracle, you better have some word in you. Now notice the servants, Jesus said, fill the vessel full of water. Water represents the word. As they drew out, it was still water in the vessel. It wasn't wine until they got obedient and they drew it out. And then as they're drawing it out, it instantaneously changed to wine. Water is one of the most simple scientific formulas, H2O, but wine in fermentation is incredible. It, it, it is instantaneous. It takes years for the thing to ferment, but yet God Almighty said, you draw it out, and by your obedience, as you draw it out of the vessel, it shall become a miracle. He is saying, I am God Almighty. I can do the most simple things, and I can do the most complex things. I'm God. It all depends on your obedience and your anointing that you draw out. If you believe that, I want you to stand right now, lift your hands, and begin to praise Him for what's about to take place in this room. I want you to praise Him. Praise Him for the miracles that are about to take place. Praise him that we're about to draw out of the vessel in the name of Jesus. That there is a river that is flowing in this place that shall never run dry. That there's a supply of the spirit for every single one of us. 
I want you to praise him right now and tell him, Lord, I'm going to put a demand on the supply of the Spirit in those prayer pe in those people. I believe your word is true. I believe your word is true. In Jesus' name. <laughs>